You're listening to ESAD Radio 89.7 FM. Running in the background is a tune by Luke Ferrari, who is using the sounds of nature in his compositions. This is Arts Monday Sympoesis, where we talk about art and environmentalism. And I'm on call to poet Claire Albrecht, who is joining us from Newcastle. Claire, are you there? Can we hear you? I am. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me on. Good morning. How is Newcastle this morning? It's absolutely beautiful. The sun's out. It's, um, I'm really only looking through my window right now, but I'm hoping to go out after this and have a look at the coastline for some whales. It's a lovely day for it. Mm, beautiful. So you live close to the ocean? Your best yeah, place to the ocean? And this is where you write your poetry from? Having a view <laughs> at, yes. at the ocean? That must be beautiful and inspiring, I suppose. Absolutely. So yeah, I'm in Newcastle on a Awabakal land here and we're about 10-15 minutes from the beach if we drive and yeah, Something that I've done for a long time is walk along the coastline and if it's whale season, look for whales. If not, just kind of take a moment to feel that expanse of the ocean and mm. enjoy it. Is this where you get inspirations through having long walks? Does walking help you write? Yeah, I think so. I'm the kind of person who will sort of think of some poetry in their head as they walk and then absolutely forget to write it down. Mm. So they don't always end up becoming full poems but yeah I think that um, taking of space and time and allowing your mind to distance itself from the other factors of the day and responsibilities is yeah really important for me to make sure that I'm in a in a space where I can write poems mm -hmm. that are about things outside of yeah that that busyness of everyday life mm -hmm. So you are not uh, the kind of poet that always carries her notepad and <laughs> pen in the pocket? I'm not. I wish I were. I think I'll have to start doing that soon. I um, I have my phone where I can take notes if I think of it. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not quite that um, dedicated yet to, to trusting every, every line that comes up. But, of course, that means I've probably lost some some things that might be interesting to work from mm. i buy notepads and i think that i will take them with me <laughs> but they're all here in my study mm. so and today you will share with us some of the poems that you wrote as a, a reflection on 2019-2020 Australian bushfires. And you're working on two different collections that are gathering some of those poems. First poem we will hear is titled Southern Highlands. And before we hear it, tell, me, tell us a bit about where were you when the fires were happening? How close were you to them? Sure. So here in Newcastle, we got some of the first bushfire smoke early on in the year, I think in September, October, coming from northern New South Wales. 
So from October till about January, we were covered in thick, thick smoke and we weren't going outside and the, you know, days and evenings were the same kind of red glow in the sky. I remember sitting with some friends, we decided to get out and have a beer and catch up and we were sitting in a beer garden with just pieces of ash blowing in Mm. and we weren't even in a major bushfire zone there. So it's just the memories of how bad it was are, are shocking now to think of it. But, yeah, I was lucky in that we, we didn't have any damage here. We were pretty safe in Newcastle, but I have parents. My parents live out at um, Duns Creek near Patterson mm-hmm. in regional New South Wales, and they had to evacuate several times. They ended up being okay, but just the ongoing stress over so many months of bushfires was really mm. affecting. Mm. And did you start writing poetry in response to the fire straight away as they were happening? Was this your initial impulse to put the thoughts, the sadness, the anger, the fear on the page, or did it take some time to digest it all and then start writing reflections on these events? It really took some time. I struggled a lot with with my mental health during the bushfires and for the month after. It just, I think it affected everyone and it was really hard to know how we felt about it until everything cleared and we could sort of start to go through our feelings towards those couple of months. And so I started writing these poems sort of halfway through last year and they had a lot to do with the isolation from COVID as well, sort of these ideas of being kept inside for whatever reason because the air can be dangerous. It it brought another perspective, I guess. And when I went into the Southern Highlands and the Blue Mountains and down the South Coast on a, on a riding trip, I guess, and to to look at these areas that were affected and see how they were regrowing or reshaping, that's when I started to be able to write about it. I couldn't write about the fires themselves, but I could write about the ways that communities were regrowing and responding and how the how the environment was looking mm. in those, you know, six months after fire. Mm. So that's what I was interested in. Mm. And was the Southern Highlands the first poem you wrote in response to the fires? I think it might have been, yeah. And the Southern Highlands was sort of the first stop on my trip. I stayed in Robertson Mm -hmm. and I stayed there for a couple of days, sort of driving around to different areas in the Southern Highlands and going for walks and chatting to people and just trying to get a feel for Mm. how, what the energy was like there at that time. And so I went back to my room and I think, yeah, this one was the first one that came out. Mm. Should we hear it? Yeah, absolutely. So this poem is just called Southern Highlands. I am driving through kilometres and kilometres of burnt bushland, watching them stretch before me. Huge graphic skeletons emerging, walking out of eternity, blackened limbs covered in this green and red disguise that should be a blessing of new growth, fresh riotous life, 
some metaphor for how we will all make it out of this okay, clean and new. But this bush will never look the same again as it does right now. We'll never have this tight air of mourning. We'll never hold its own choked up throat in the same way. Just like all that we can never, will never reclaim. Only dress ourselves in future memories wrapping the snapshot of today in a thick shawl and hiding it away like the most valuable treasure. Beautiful, thank you. Do you remember what were the first words that came down, the first words of this poem that came down to the page? I don't tend to remember first words, but the first images. And so I remember being very struck by well, because I was driving through it for so long, but these these huge trunks of trees covered in sort of this fuzzy regrowth. That it's called epicormic growth, and it's that sort of mm. bright green and sometimes reddy growth that comes out along the trunks and branches of trees all the way along them, so they look like they're wearing an outfit almost. Mm. And, yeah, when I was looking at them, I just thought, this is this is unique. This is something that I'm seeing right now. And even in future bushfires with future regrowth, it won't look like this. And I think that idea to me was what first struck me and first made me start writing this poem is the images of the, the graphic skeletons and mm. the idea of the idea of time and growth and yeah, I was yeah. thinking actually about epicormic growth as I was reading your poem. So I'm glad you're mentioning it's actually epicormic growth is a temporary lung that the tree develops as a survival mechanism before the crown is fully built. And then once yeah. the crown is fully built, these leaves actually fall off. And the reason they're a bit red at the surfaces is to shush away the possums uh, so the possums don't come and eat them. Uh, it's amazing, yeah, re revival. Is that right? Yes, yeah, I just found out that a few days ago. That's you, great. Yeah. yeah, I didn't realize that. When I was when I was driving through, I I wasn't quite sure what that was the signifier of the epicormic growth. I was like, is that really good? Does that mean that the bush is regenerating? Absolutely. Or yeah. is this something else? Yeah, but I I was at Varuna Ryder's house. Mm -hmm. in October last year working on these poems and it was a fi fire and drought residency and we had an amazing uh, couple of dinners chatting with the other writers and with a scientist who came to talk to us who was able to shed some really amazing light on epicormic growth and bush regeneration after fire and that was that was really interesting to get some more of the scientific side of the things that I had seen but not quite mm -hmm. understood. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's all really interesting and I love the idea of the, the trees knowing how to tell the possums to bugger off. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's hear another of your poems. We have a few to hear today. Uh, this one is called Balmoral Bargo. So I'm assuming that you were in this area as you were writing it or it was inspired by your visit to this area. Yeah, that's right. So this was one of the trips that I took while I was in the Southern Highlands, driving to Balmoral, not the coastal Balmoral, fancy Sydney Balmoral, but um, the Balmoral in the Southern Highlands that's part of the Bargo area and the Bargo National Park. So I went for a really strange walk 
through there, um, just completely empty, and through the fire trails, and you could see all of the ditches that had um, been left there from the fire trucks going in and out. But it was just so quiet and, and eerie. So I, um, yeah, I wrote this poem. So it's called Balmoral Bargo. Let's have a listen. There's a bite in the sun, but the fire danger rating reads low to moderate. Big steel door on the rural station is rolled down shut and there are goats grazing in the small backyard by the water tank, content chewing. Earlier this morning, I walked through fire trails cut with trauma. Big swathes of dirt pulled into tires and taken along for the ride as the trucks went back and forth, back and forth, into the fraying edges of bush, dead snakes. And now as I walk this ditch land, I keep looking over my shoulder. No phone reception, woman on her own, nowhere to hide, all burned to exposure. There's a surrender to this, and a safety, low to moderate. Today's breakfast, wildflowers, yellow sunny side out of ash, egg and bacon plant, broad-leaved drumsticks. Uphill, I'm aware this place isn't mine, an unowned thing. The community notice board hasn't been updated in a while. Two farm utes roaring behind my city hybrid. Two men at work look too busy for my questions. It's almost fire season again, and there's still more to take. This poem has a particular way of uh, presentation. You presented the words on the page in a particular way, playing with the placing of the words and the visual form. And uh, obviously, uh, the placing of the words creates a specific rhythm of reading. Was this the main function of the format, or is there something else to it? Why did you choose this way of presenting it? Uh, I think the first part of it is that I wrote this out on a very big notepad in my room at Veruna. And when I do that, when I write freehand rather than digitally, I find that I play with space on the page much more, and it's quite instinctive. So usually when I have a break in thought, and want to leave something off to the side, I'll do that physically on the page with the words. And then I tend to hear the rhythm and the breaks in my head as I write, and I just sort of adapt that onto the page, which I'm far less good at doing when I'm writing on my laptop. I just mm -hmm. sort of get the words out. But, yeah, it, it's really it's for the pacing of the poem and also it speaks to the kind of disordered things that I was seeing for me, you know, the the content goats and the completely quiet, strange bushland and the um, the plants that are all named after food, you know, it was all sort of a bit disjointed for me as I was walking around trying to get a feeling for the place. Mm. But I think that was what cohered into the poem for me and what made me want to write this poem about this very small part of the southern highlands that was really badly affected 
And, yeah, I just sort of spent some time there, and this is what happened, really. Mm. You're on ESA Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday Symposis, where we talk about art and environmentalism. And I'm currently on call to poet Claire Albrecht, who is calling us from Newcastle and is sharing with us some of the poetry she wrote in response to 2019-2020 Australian bushfires. And the next poem we will hear is called Lock It In, Eddie. And it is from the second collection of poetry you're working on, uh, tell us a bit about these two collections. Why did you choose to split your current work in two collections rather than publish all the poems as one? So, Lock It In, Eddie, this next poem comes from a collection called Handshake that I just a couple of weeks ago submitted for my PhD. Mm. And it's a longer collection that is more broadly around... Um, it, it is an eco-collection, but it's also more broadly around my personal anxiety, isolation, and the various um, anxieties that came along with COVID, and just being in the world, really. So rather than being particularly about bushfires or um, various impacts of climate change, it was a more personal collection. And so this poem is a lyric poem from my sort of my perspective, my experience being in Newcastle and seeing people's reactions and different perspectives on mm. what was happening throughout those few months. And who is Eddie? Uh, so Lock It In Eddie is a um, from Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, mm-hmm. the TV show, and uh, when when people sort of trying to choose between a couple. Eddie always makes it difficult for them, but we know that they've decided completely when they say lock it in, Eddie. And I think that was a little joke of mine of not actually knowing what to do or um, having having all these different choices in my mind of how to respond, where to go with, with my life outside of poetry. So, yeah, it was just a little slight joke in there well let's hear it lock it in eddie claire albrecht he said radio 89.7 fm lock it in eddie i've been thinking of what to do when no one will pay me to write poetry anymore maybe become a locksmith a van drives by the mayfield bowling club and beckons with its bolts, latches, and cylinders. I inhale as the old bloke behind moans of greenies. I want to show him a picture of the storm a fire makes all its own, electric, and tell him of the town in Pennsylvania where a coal blaze has burned for 50 years and the trouble I've been having, anxiety or bushfire smoke, hard to say. It's a tightness of the chest, just like the airs bearing down, saying, hey, mother effers, do you want me here or not? And yes, you know I do. And I want the earth unburnt and oceans cold and colourful like oil on water, like your eyes when they tell me I am going to be okay.
You just briefly mentioned that uh, this poem is part of your uh, PhD that you have just completed. And uh, as far as I know, your current work, and I am assuming that PhD was about that as well, investigates anxiety and the connection between poetry and photography. Could you tell us a bit about this? How are you merging poetry and photography and how is anxiety investigated through these two forms? Yeah, sure. So in that collection, Handshake, I combine poetry along the lines of what we've just heard with images of a hand clenched and then opening and then clenching again and images of uh, waves as they move into the full curve of the wave and then collapse again. And so I combine these in some digitally manipulated images and some I put side by side to mimic or simulate the movement of a panic attack where there's the build-up and a peak and then the subsiding into some kind of normalcy. So I suppose I have been interested in wanting to mimic that experience for the reader because I'm very familiar with the experience of a panic attack and I know that many especially poets that I know um, have experienced that as well and and know the references when I might put that into my poetry text. But for people who aren't so familiar with anxiety or with panic, I wanted to be able to build the momentum of the book and the poetry to reflect that and to use the photography to, I guess, um, emphasise that movement. So... Yeah, that's that's been the last project and it's I'm I'm an aesthetic person. I like to work on the digital graphic design of my books. Mm. So I I designed all of it myself and laid it out the way I felt I wanted it to look, which is a bit unusual for a poet mm. writing a manuscript, but that just was the most fun for me to to produce a book, you know, an object of art rather than just a manuscript of text. Mm. And you also run poetry, monthly poetry nights in Newcastle called Couplet. Is that right? Yeah, I do. I've been running Couplet since 2018 now, which has been amazing. You know, I only really went back to writing poetry. I wrote some poetry in my undergrad and that was, you know, back in 2010, 2011. And I only went back to poetry in 2016 and I just got so excited by the events that were in Sydney and all of the amazing work I was hearing that I, after one night at Sappho's, I came back to Newcastle and the morning that I woke up from that just made a logo and, and contacted a venue and just thought, I have to have something like this here. I, for starters, can't manage the, the trip to Sydney and back every month or the cost of staying overnight. So I also just wanted Newcastle to have the opportunity of of having a monthly night with these really amazing poets who are all doing such different work. And it's been wonderful. Obviously, we couldn't keep running during COVID, and I, I moved it online to Facebook Live, which was an interesting thing in itself. It was sort mm. of these, you know, one night a week, I'd go into my study and pour a glass of wine and just have a fantastic poet reading mm. out loud for half an hour with everybody able to comment 
as we went. You know, that's something you can't do in a live poetry reading is just make a comment in the middle of someone's poem. But with with Facebook Live, we were able to do that. And it was interesting, the conversations that mm. came out of that. But, but we're back live now, mm. which is great. And um, given that poetry is, uh, um, I'm thinking always of it as a solitary art form, very individual, intimate, private, uh, vulnerable in that way. What is the value of um, having also community and the people to read these words out loud to? What happens when you read them out loud and when you, when you get a feedback? How does that benefit your further writing? That's a good question. I mean, I used to be very reluctant to read my work out loud. I kind of was one of those poets who thought, no, it's only for the page. You're supposed to read it off the page yourself. I'm not a performance poet. I'm not a spoken word artist. But, of course, that was just because I hadn't done it really before and was anxious about doing it and wasn't sure that I'd be any good. So reading out loud has been something I've done in the last few years and has given me, I don't know, a different perspective for sure, but the community, as you say, of readers, we're always sharing something with each other that is, it hits differently when you hear it from someone, you know, speaking it to you or otherwise from when you're reading it off the page and making your own um, inferences from what they've written. So, yeah, I think there's there's something special about hearing people in your community and poets in your networks reading and giving something of themselves. Mm -hmm. So we're not just poets, we're people with things going on and things that we're trying to work out through our poetry often, which is certainly what I've been doing is trying to work out what anxiety means for writing and how writing can help and how poetry interacts with environmentalism and if it if it has a place to do anything or if it's just a means of dealing with with emotion and mm. pain mm. talking about pain and emotion another poem of yours that uh, we will hear is from the same collection called the handshake is called creation lament and this one also seems to speak about the anxiety and perhaps even a sense of hopelessness in the face of climate change yeah i'll read that one out for you now right. creation lament you see the vivid in everything. I see the patina behind my eyelids. You sometimes get asthma. My heart plunks out of tune. Swamping my arms through the smoke for the first time in four days, I open the recycling bin, and it is just an orgy of humans, ghosts, and cool green glass bottles all clinking together like music. And I can't tell if, in all this, there's a line missing, a counter melody, or the alto, like some crumbled chicken stuffing, or the cork back in your bottle that keeps it from going off. I mean a something, an extra that's born from me, and must be kept alive through smoke, through flood, through fear and the whole fucking trash fire of it all. 
And while I suck back a Winfield and a wine, I can't help but wonder if I can't help this or another or anything resembling a future anymore. Not here, not for some new creature that doesn't want its fur all singed or an underwater home. Even though you and I hold hands when we fall asleep in a bad mood, even though we could make a firework out of this furnace, even though creation could be the only thing I'm good for. What good is creation just to watch it gasp for life, just to lose it? I was born without doubt, knowing change and floods and drought would come, and now that they're here, I want to feel hope like a cloud growing rain in its belly, and the rampant joy in its wake. But my fear is unbroken and barren and barren and barren. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to tell us about this one or the words speak enough? Uh, yeah, well, this is probably the hardest poem I've ever written and the only poem during which I've um, emotionally cracked a little and my voice has wavered at a reading. And it's something that's very hard to put into words. This sort of, I'm, I'm 32 and I'm faced, I'm, I'm married and I'm faced with the decision of whether to try to have a child. Um, and there's just so much uncertainty in the world that it's become quite a difficult thought for me. And I don't know if that is even an option for me, but I've never sort of pursued it. And there's just this persistent question that hovers around now. And of course you get people asking when you're going to have a baby and all this kind of stuff, you know, asking for grandchildren and mm. all of that. But yeah, for me, it's become this lingering difficulty that I've been trying to work out in a number of poems actually. And yeah, this one, it says in the title, you know, it's a lament. It's, it's already fearing the loss of this potential future. So mm. yeah. yeah, it's a rough one. Mm. Since you're mentioning future and uh, you're slowly coming to the end of our conversation today, and thank you very much, Claire Albrecht, for joining us on ESA Radio 89.7 FM this morning. But I would like to finish our conversation asking you four questions of future. And these questions have actually been asked to me and other participants in a reading group organized by the artist duo called Make or Break, who will be with me in the studio shortly to talk about their project called the Department of Non-Human Resources. And if you don't mind, and I'm sorry that this is a bit out of blue, I'm going to be asking you those four questions, but I would actually like to capture your unprepared answers. So yeah, are you ready? Okay, yes, let's do let's this. Go. So the first question is, what do we need to let go of? Oh, expectation, mm. 
I feel like expectation weighs on me so much when things don't happen. You know, you, you hope that things will change and there's an expectation that we'll be further along in, in the fight against climate change now. And we're just, you know, we're not. And it's crushing to have that expectation. So I think, at least for me, it would be helpful to go into this next phase without expectation and just with as much energy as possible. Mm. What do we need to hold on to? Uh, well, despite that last poem, hope. <laughs> and that's why, I, that's why I write my hopelessness out. It's not helpful. Mm. What do we need to grow into? Mm. Well, my father, the eco-philosopher Glenn Albrecht, has this term called the symbiocene that is an alternative to continuing through the Anthropocene. And mm. it's an idea that um, sort of riffs off mycelial networks and, and um, natural symbiotic relationships suggesting that if we reevaluate our position as strongly being a part of the world and not something that has any um you know dictatorial power over what we do and don't do to to change the world and operate completely within the system of growth and change and nurturing that we might come out of this stronger and and better it you know of course requires sacrifice but i think that's something that we can grow towards mm. i've never explained to listeners what sympoesis means and this is a title of the show but i guess it's something similar it's making with rather than individually so symbiosis, i guess is similar term in some ways of collective thinking and doing and existing in unison yeah i was i was I was thinking about that I was as I was thinking about the title of Sympoesis and the connections between sort of writing a connected form of poetry to the world and existing as a human that that embraces those connections and sacrifices sort of these very human anthropocene things in order to get back to a more symbiotic relationship with nature. Mm. And maybe you're answering there a bit of my last question, the four questions of future. And the last question is, how do we move toward the change we want? The how is the hard part, isn't it? Mm. I think we're all trying to figure that out. And I think, yeah, the, the way we can do that is together. <laughs> we're, we're lacking a lot of unity in the world and even in Australia and even right down to the micro of within families and friendships of the ways people think this world should move and change and look. And until we agree on some core principles of how we want this world that we live in to continue, I think it will be very difficult to make a change. So my how is that we, we have to do it together in some way, shape or form. Mm. And that includes, you know, making sure this isn't the, privileged richest countries in the world making the decisions and then having that imposed on other parts of the world so the togetherness is 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 a real one it's it's actually trying to include every person here and their connection to every other living thing on the planet yeah 
non-human entities as well, which is a beautiful segue in what is coming next on Isa Radio 89.7 FM. This morning on Arts Mondays in Poesis, I will be soon joined in the studio by artists duo Make or Break to talk about their project, the Department of Non-Human Resources, and it is looking at how do we find inspiration for envisioning the futures from not just human but also non-human perspective, and I look forward to sharing more about that with you in just a couple of minutes. First of all, Claire Albrecht, thank you so much for joining us this morning and sharing your beautiful words with us. Thanks so much for having me. It's been really lovely to chat and share some poems. So that was poet Claire Albrecht, who is currently based in Newcastle and runs a monthly poetry night events called The Couplet. You might want to check this out via coupletpoetry.com. To find out more about Claire, visit her website, albrechtpoems.com. You're on ESA Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday Simpoesis, a fortnightly show on which we speak about art and environmentalism. And as I mentioned, I will soon be joined in the studio by artist duo Make or Break to talk about their project, the Department of Non-Human Resources, which is currently unfolding at the Lismore Regional Gallery and subjects the gallery to collective thinking or rethinking in order to dig into questions of sustainability and sustainment as we face and uncertain futures. More about this in a few minutes. Before that, a short music break with deep listening band. The track is called Dreamtime and is from the album Tosca Salad, released in 1995. Isa Radio 89.7 FM. <laughs> 